Following this, David Melech returned to the city of Hebron. There he ruled, he reigned over the tribe of Yehuda. Avner, the general of Shola Melech, remained loyal to the memory of his master, his king, King Shol, and so he crowned Ishbosheth, the son of King Shol, who was a weakling in a sense, crowned him over the rest of the Jews, except for the tribe of Yehuda. He reigned for a period of seven and a half years, during which time King David reigned in Hebron, a partial reign over only part of the Jews. One day, Abner and the servants, followers of Ishbosheth, were in the city of Givon, on one side of a stream. Yoav, the general of King David, was with the servants of King David near the side of the stream. Avner spoke to Yoav as one general to the other, called out to him and said, let's have our boys play some games. Let's have some physical contests, war games. So they chose 12 from each side. These 12 faced each other. They drew swords simultaneously. They attacked each other. and All 24 were killed instantly. They were all good fighters. They were courageous. They beat at each other, and of course, it resulted in death. Now this automatically caused a true battle to break out between both sides, who ran to avenge the victims on their own side. In this battle, which began to rage uncontrollably, the servants of King David were proving victorious. And so the three brothers, Yoav, top general of King David, his two brothers, Avishai, and Asoel began to chase the general, the commander of Ishbosheth's army, Avner. Avner, if you recall, he mentioned, was very powerful, extremely powerful physically. It is written somewhere as in the Medrash, he was so strong that when he put his foot down, 300 powerful men could not budge his foot, could not move it. The tug of war. However, in battle, it is possible that Yoav, the general of King David, was so clever a general that in battle he could surpass the genius of Avner, which of course was based mainly, primarily, on physical prowess. However, Yoav's younger brother, Asoel, possessed only one fine quality, and that was speed. He was as fleet as a deer, the Torah says. In this chase, three brothers chasing after Abner, Asoel was, came closest to Abner. He came very close to him, and Abner turned, called out to Asoel and said, I don't want to hurt you. You're chasing me? What happens if you catch me? What's going to happen to you? And therefore I advise that you turn off, turn away. Keep running, but turn away from me and pretend that you're chasing somebody else. Because if you get to me, I will have to defend myself, and this will mean your death. You don't match for me at all. Asoel refused to listen to reason. He leaped straight at Avner, caught up to him quickly, and Avner was forced, against his own will, to kill Asoel. At the end of this battle, the total casualties were 19 of King David's side, plus one Asoel, and 360 on the side of King Ishbosheth, 
on the side of Shaul's son, King Shaul's son, and Avner. At that time, Avner finally called out to Yoav, at a distance still, and told him, how long must we have this unnecessary bloodshed among Jews? Yoav said, fine, we agree to stop this bloodshed, to stop this battle. Remember, though, you're the one that started it. You're the one that suggested this battle between the youngsters on both sides. A little later on, Ishboshus committed a very foolish act. And obviously, Mephoshim said this was due. It was an error on his part, but it was due, of course, to a plan in heaven. It's the will of Hashem that King David should finally rule. And so, Ishboshus accused Avner of having had an affair with the concubine, the half-wife of King Shoal. Avner, who was so loyal to King Shoal, so loyal to his memory, felt so hurt and so angered by this that he said to Ishboshus, You don't deserve to have me assist you any longer. Therefore, I'm going to the side of King David and accept him as king of the Jews from now on. Ishboshus was frightened, he couldn't say a word. Because when he saw Abner angry, he knew that one retort would mean his death. He realized his error, he remained silent, and Abner traveled straight forward to King David, offered him his assistance in getting all the Jews to recognize King David as the one king over all. King David's reply to Abner, who came there with 20 men, and King David honored him because he still considered him as a very important person. Anyone close to King Shoal was important in the eyes of King David. He made a special feast for him then with his 20 assistants. And he said to Abner, I accept your help. I accept your joining me. But on one condition. I want you to first see to it that my wife is returned to me. I married Michal, the daughter of King Shoal. I want her back. She was given to Palti ben Loish mistakenly due to a... a discussion, matter of law, what constitutes legal marriage. In my opinion, she's legally married to me, and therefore she must be returned to me before anything else. He also sent a message to Ishboshes as respect to the king. The king too should work on this. The king did this immediately. He sent a note to Palti ben Loish, who had taken Michal, the daughter of Shoal, the wife of King David, as a wife, but who remained pure, never came close to her, never had physical contact with her. We had a long shear on that, if you recall, recently. And he returned her to King David. Now, a little later, Yoav, who was out of battle, came back. He found out that Avner had just been there and had left. He was very angry with King David and said to him, How do you trust Avner? Don't you realize that Avner came here only to spy out our defenses? King David said, My judgment is that he's an honest person and that's final. Yoav left him. Yoav went to extremes in his loyalty to King David, as we'll see throughout all of later history. In this case, he tracked down Avner, and only in pretense, pretending that he was carrying a message from King David for him, he got Avner to turn to him in a defenseless position, and he killed him in cold blood. This was the death of Avner, which so broke down King David that he ordered a seven-day fast to show that he was innocent in the bloodshed of Avner. Avner was buried with honors in the city of Hebron. If you recall, we mentioned that his grave 
is directly opposite the cave of four couples in the city of Hebron. A little later, King David went to battle against the Yavusi, one of the Arab tribes who controlled the city of Yerushalayim. And then King David captured the city of Yerushalayim. At that time, he called it Ir David, the city of King David. He built the Mitsudas David, the fortress of King David. That's at the entrance. We have that today at Shayafu. Those who visited Israel, the old city of Yerushalayim, the gate, Yaffa gate, the old city, where we have this fortress of King David. And then he went against the Philistines, continually enjoying success in this battle. Uh, finally, he decided that since he would declare the city of King David, that is, the city of Yerushalayim, as the capital, it was time to move the Holy Ark with the tablets to this city. It had been in a strange city all this time. It was time to bring it back, but to bring it back with ceremony. And so he went to where the Holy Ark had been kept until now. They prepared a brand new coach with oxen to lead this coach. They placed the Holy Ark on this coach. And this was a fatal error. Imara says that King David committed this mistake to show that no person is infallible. In one of his statements, he says, Zemiros Hayuli Chukecha, that the laws of Hashem, he said to me, are smooth, pure, simple. They flow like a song. You cannot use such terms about the word of Hashem. And so, to show that the, that the laws did not flow that smoothly, he committed this error, though it was not intended as such, intentions were as a means of respect to build this new type of coach in respect to the Holy Ark. The error was though, it was a simple law that the Holy Ark the Oron could never be carried on a coach. It must be carried on the shoulders of the Levian or the Kahanim. It must be carried only by Kotev soul, only on the shoulders. And so the result was that this brought about the anger from heaven. While traveling, the steer, that is, the oxen, slipped. The coach slid to his side, and the one that was standing behind it, Uzzah, reached out to steady the holy ark. As he did so, he was killed instantly. Killed from heaven because he too had forgotten a kavachomer. We've gotten the fact that it is not the coach that carries the Holy Ark. It is the Holy Ark that carries the coach. It is not the people who carry the Holy Ark on their shoulders. It is Oron Nosei Esnosov. As the Torah tells us, when they carry the Holy Ark, anyone looking closely would note that those carrying the Ark did not have their feet touch the ground. Their feet were above the ground. They, in turn, were being carried by the ark, by the iron condition. Of course, Uzzah made this error, trying to study the ark. Fearing for its safety, he was killed. King David was very much frightened by this. decided to leave the holy ark in the house on the way, the house in the city of Gas, house of a Levi, Oved Edom Hagiti. Levi's name was Oved Edom. Leave the Holy Ark there until he would see his way clear.
he felt that since there was an anger because of the Oren Kodesh, most probably this Oved Edom would suffer through it. But as we find, the Gemara says that Oved Edom Agite gave the greatest possible cover to this holy ark, and therefore he was blessed, the Gemara says, that his wife, he had a wife and eight sons. Eight sons, meaning that he had eight daughters-in-law. A wife and eight daughters-in-law, every one of them gave birth that year, each one to six tuplets, six children at one time, which means that there was a total of 54 children born then. He also had eight sons from before. That's why we find explanation for the sentence in Tanakh, which says that Ovid Adam had 62 children, 54 born because of the miracle in having the Holy Ark there, eight from before, a total of 62 children for Ovid Adam. Apparently, that's a blessing to have six children born at once, everyone in the family. When King David heard about this, he decided that this showed that having the Holy Ark is a zechus, is something that would bring a blessing rather than a curse. So he decided again that this time he would bring the Aron Kodesh back to his city, Yerushalayim, but in the proper manner. So he went out again, arranged for a special parade, and to march with the Aron Kodesh from the house of Ovid Edom and Gas to Yerushalayim. This was a long parade, and in going in this parade, King David showed his enthusiasm, enthusiastic spirit, about the zechus of facing the ark. Now this was very similar to the din, the custom we have today on Simchas Torah. We have the privilege of dancing with the Torah. The din says that we have to show our deep ahava for the Torah, deep respect for it, by giving of ourselves to place every ounce of energy into this dance on Simchas Torah, as is brought by the Arizal. Arizal said that on Simchas Torah, he would expend every bit of energy he had at night for the Akafos, and he would go through all the Akafos until they'd completed in his own shul, and they would all leave he'd go out and find another shul that was still open, they were still dancing. He would join them until the last one of the shuls was through. So straight through the next day. This was one of the outstanding qualities of the Arizal. It is brought to about the Vilnagon, that he danced with all the power, all the physical power he had, he put into this dancing, the Simcha, in front of the Sefer Torah. And this is what David HaMelech too did when they went through the streets, through the towns, the streets, to the Kanti Yerushalayim, leading this dance himself, very enthusiastic, wild dance, putting every bit of strength he had into it. This was honoring the Oren Kodesh, covered of Hashem. Now, as he went through the city of Yerushalayim, he passed by his own home, his wife, Michal, the daughter of Sholem Melech, was looking out of the window, she saw him dancing in this manner, and in her heart, she felt very badly towards him. That he was making what she felt, he was making a fool of himself, to act in such a childish manner. And she waited. When he completed 
the ceremony. They brought the Holy Ark to its place, to the temporary Mishkan. Of course, there was no Beis HaMikdash yet at that time. We completed this. There was a large assembly, a gathering of all Jews. There King David spoke to all of them. He addressed them. He expressed his brachas, his blessings to them. He distributed some food, special holy food for each one. He sent them off to their home, all in a deep feeling of simcha, deep happiness. Then he returned to his home. When he came in, he received his greetings, wifely greetings, Misha Berach, from his wife, Michal, who, as we said, Michal was very, very independent. You recall that she was the one who defied all tradition, defied the authorities. What she felt was right, she did. She felt that the mitzvah of tefillin is so great, so sacred, and so elevated, that it is unfair that this mitzvah be belonged only to the men. She put on tefillin. She wore tefillin. And all the Sanhedrin, all the rabbis, could not stop her, according to one version of the Gemara. She refused to accept, to listen to their arguments and claims as to why tefillin was not a mitzvah for women. She was outstanding in this respect. But of course we see that her actions always were for the sake of Kedusha. In this case, she felt that the covered of the king, the honor of the king, should be uppermost. The king, plus the fact that King David was a master in all fields. He was not only a king, he was also the most learned person at that time, the chief rabbi. Carrying these two crowns, crown of royalty, the crown of Torah, she felt that he had cheapened this, debased it, by dancing like an ordinary person. And so when he came in, she began to insult him, and said, how, what, what honor you received from your servants, from your maids. How honorable you looked in their eyes, you stood there dancing like any ordinary person, any layman, revealing yourself as a plain, ordinary person, and causing a true disgrace to yourself. King David was shocked, but he answered very coldly, very coolly, I did it for the sake of the cover of Hashem. And if there was anything more I could do to belittle myself, if that's what it was, if I could belittle myself still more for the sake of the cover of Hashem, I would gladly have done it. But I assure you, that the more I would have made nothing of myself, the more covered I would have received from those who are sincere, from those servants and maids you speak about. Because they know that one who regards himself as nothing before the honor of Hashem, that one is a truly honored person. This was King David's answer to Michal. The Torah says that Michal was punished. Punished because, the question of course, what was her wrongdoing? Was it the fact that she did not show the proper respect to the Oren Kodesh? Or was it the fact that she spoke disrespectfully to King David? Or that she did not show proper respect to her husband, as a wife should? Also, a very big possibility. In any event, Whatever it was, the Torah says she was punished, 
But from that moment on, she did not have any children till the day she passed away. The question was, though, the question is discussed in the Gemara, the possibility that the day she passed away, a punishment ended, and she gave birth on that day. There is that possibility according to one opinion in the Gemara. <coughs> we all agree that from this point on, there was no, there were no births until the time she passed away, as her punishment for disrespect to King David and regard to the Aaron Kodesh. Uh, this here too, we find that King David's words were very vital, very vital lesson to every Jew. The Benazal dwells on this point at length. King David said, if I could lower myself any further extent, I would gladly do so, would disregard my own cover, my own honor, my own self-respect, in order to serve Hashem with more devotion. Benazal says there are two ways in which a person can serve Hashem. A person can be either bonim atem l'Hashem alakechem, serve Hashem as children, as a son would a father, or as an eved to a rab, as a slave to a master. Certainly, there is a much higher degree, much higher level to be a son than a slave. So a Jew who is a slave, who acts as a slave, means that he does not do so with true devotion. A slave tries to get rid of as much work as possible tries to avoid labor, tries to avoid shirk his responsibilities. Though he is forced, he's compelled to serve. A son, on the other hand, does it out of affection for a father. He wants to help. He wants to give or whatever he can or as much as he could. However, in one respect, Abedinah says a slave is better than a son. Because a son would never go to the extent of besmirching himself or of going through mud, leaping into places that are, that are unfit for the average human, whereas a slave would not hesitate to do so. So the highest degree a person could reach in service and devotion to Hashem is to serve as a son doing the act of a slave. This is what King David meant. That I am the child of Hashem. I am the chosen one one that's chosen as the king of his people. You cannot be closer than that to Hashem to act as a child, as a son. At the same time, my love for Hashem is so great that I would not hesitate to perform any act necessary, even if it was the lowest act that a slave could perform. I would gladly do it and go still further if possible in order to fulfill my desire in truly serving Hashem. This was a lesson that Benelah says, if King David could say that, how much more so are we obligated to disregard our own comfort and our own honor, our own self-respect when it comes to performing any mitzvah at all. And therefore, again, Benelah says that the greatest degree of Kedusha a person can achieve is known as the degree of Busha. Busha means embarrassment. A person would come before a one of a high high personage, one of high office, before a minister, a prince, or a king. He'd be very much embarrassed to speak. He'd be embarrassed to perform any type of act. 
even when he was told to do so. He'd feel unfit. A person coming before Hashem and is being told, for example, the mitzvah of tefillin, take the tefillin, which are called the crown of Hashem, place them on your, on your forehead and your arm. A person picks up these tefillin, he's supposed to be filled with a deep sense of shame and embarrassment. How do I come to take the crown of Hashem and place it on my head? I who am that low, that unworthy with all my acts, an ordinary mortal, to place upon my head the crown of Hashem. This is the peak of humility. At the same time, Ben says, imagine, that if a person did possess this sense of shame, self-embarrassment, in performing a mitzvah, imagine then how pure that person would be if there came before him the temptation, the opportunity to commit a sin against Hashem's command. Imagine how ashamed of himself he should feel then. The chas v'shalom turned against Hashem, commit an act that Hashem forbade him to, and what a degree of self-shame there should be then. And this is why we can understand the Gemara statement. that if a person commits a sin, and immediately afterwards is misbayishpah, he feels completely humiliated, ashamed of himself, that sense of shame is enough to forgive him for the sin committed. Because he feels ashamed of the fact that he performed that act, that he went against the will of his creator, <clears throat> he committed this sin, this is enough to be forgiven for that sin instantaneously. He doesn't even have to wait for Yom Kippur or for later periods of true repentance or for Yisura, for suffering. The sin is forgiven because there's no greater degree of tshuva than busha, embarrassment. And that's why, too, the Gemara says, Mishnah Perki Avos says in one sentence, Az ponem legehenim and boshas ponem legehenim. The difference between the inhabitants of Gehenim and those of Gehenim is this one quality. Az ponem person who has no sense of shame, person who possesses arrogance, defiance, disrespect, that person is a certainty to be of the inhabitants of Gehenim. Versus Punim, that person who possesses this degree of humbleness, and embarrassment, shame, one who is, whose soul was certainly at the time, at Har Sinai, at Mount Sinai, at the time when the Torah was given, that person is certain to receive, Gan Eden is certain to be among the Yerushay, those inhabitants and heritors of Gan Eden. This is the degree of Boshes Ponim, of Busha, which is above all the other qualities. This, the Zara Kodesh says, Kodesh Zara. That this is what Hashem desires most above all. Above all means first, paramount. The word, the first word of the Torah, gracious, in the beginning, above all, that word, the Zohar Kodesh says, is made up of two words. Gracious is yore, boshes. Yore, fear, that means respect. Respect for Hashem, how? Through boshes. Through this deep, feeling of humility and embarrassment 
Through this, a person can achieve a true fear, respect, and awe before Hashem's greatness. With this, a person can truly devote his life to the service of Hashem and can merit the credits, the rewards of the everlasting future. Let us hope that we will be Zohar now, especially now, the beginning of the year, the month of Nisan, before the holiday of Pesach, to adopt these pure qualities which encompass all the aspects of tshuva. And through this tshuva, to merit seeing the coming of Mashiach, rebuilding the base of Mikdash. Because as we said, the words of Rebekah of Lezal, at the time of the coming of Mashiach, the words of the Gemara, is the month of Nisan. The Nisan are Sidon The month of Nisan, the Jews will be redeemed, be taken out of exile. The month of Nisan means the period of time in Nisan, most probable, the coming of Mashiach, is the two weeks before the holiday of Pesach. We have just a few days left. Let's strengthen ourselves much stronger, much more intensely in Tvila, for the coming of Mashiach, and through this Tvila we should be zochet to see with our eyes, Bias Mashiach at Kenu, Binyan Beis HaMikdash, Amen, Amen.